Hello, dear reader, listener, word seeker. Welcome to the Mind Readers podcast. Mind readers, right? I know, but it's not what you think. We don't read minds, we read books. This podcast is about books, about reading, and the stories that we all have. So join me, Sri Vidya Shivakumar, and Swati Nair as we talk books, words, stories. So come on in to our cozy library. We are warmed up by coffee, conversation, and camaraderie. Welcome, friend. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Mind Readers, a podcast where we explore mental health through literature, reading, and culture. I'm your host, Swati. And before I introduce my co-host, I just want to share some of my memories around books and stories. So as far back as I can remember, I've always been surrounded by books and stories. Like I remember my grandmom telling me stories while she fed me. And at home, I was always surrounded by encyclopedias, children's magazines, and storybooks, all of which ensured I was always lost in the world of words. But what drew me to them? How do stories shape our lives? These are things that I think about frequently. On Mind Readers, I want to explore the magic of stories and their ability to transform us for the better. And with me here is my fellow explorer and co-host, Sri Vidya. Now, if you've listened to the Dear Mind podcast, you would know that she's the one behind that beautiful voice, the one reading out all those lovely stories for us. So welcome, Sri Vidya. How are you doing today? And I want to know more about your memories around reading and books as well. Hello, hello, Swati. I'm doing great today. Thank you. How have you been? I'm doing good, actually. Uh, it's not been a bad day. You know, I have been trying to think of a time when I was not reading. And thankfully, I cannot remember it. Uh, I think <laughs> I feel like uh, curling up with books no matter the season. Right. And I think it always, always uplifts me. And we need more of that at any point of time, don't you think? Yes, absolutely. And I mean, I cannot, I can never get enough of books. And I cannot think of a time when I was not reading either. There's, there's something so enduring about the comfort of a book. It's like a hug, just like classics. There's a reason why, you know, movies like Shole still runs in the theater. And why people still quote from books like Pride and Prejudice or Oliver Twist. They, they just endure. But what do you think is that X factor behind these classics? What makes them classics? I, I Sometimes if you ask me, I think the classics always end up in tragedy. <laughs> is that what makes a classic? <laughs> uh, why are classics classics? Mm, that's an interesting question. I think we should start with thinking about what makes a classic a classic. Mm -hmm. So what I've, in my research, I have, I have been told over and over again that a classic has universal themes and that by the need, by the, its very nature, it offers maybe a different perspective, mm -hmm. some sort of clarity, some school or food for thought. Mm -hmm. So I thought one reason would be is because it has eternal themes of life, right? Yeah. And for instance, I think I grew up on classics like a lot of people in my generation. So you had Jules Verne, you had Alexander Dumas, you had yeah. Daniel Defoe. 
when younger, of course, mm-hmm. and in college, more so-called serious writers, Emily Bronte, Jane Austen, Prem Chand, Rabindranath Tagore. Right. Look at, you know, when we say classic, we always think about William Shakespeare. And look at the fact that Shakespeare's works have stood the test of time and only because they all have emotions and feelings that we all can identify with. There's grief, there's heartbreak, there's betrayal and melancholy and trauma. And mental health is eternal too, as a theme, if I were to just look at it as a theme. Correct. And we still struggle like the characters in these plays and books. If you notice, uh, Shakespeare has a tendency to classify errant, and I'm using air quotes when I say that, errant behavior as madness. Somehow that label seems to have continued through centuries, right? Yes, sadly so, actually. People with disabilities and mental health issues are still viewed as crazy or mad. And mm. and, and some of my earliest memories come to think of it are all these movies from the 70s and 80s where, the, where they show the treatment for someone who was mad, again, quote unquote, and mm. the treatment involved chaining them, giving them shock treatment, and they were always shown as violent people. How right you are. Yeah, and and I always wondered why. And and also speaking of early experiences, I think when it comes to classics, I think books like uh, Tom Sawyer stand out for me. I used to read a lot of these classics in the children's unabridged version when I was in school. And I still vividly remember this particular passage where Tom is whitewashing a fence and he he really, really wants to eat an apple. I think someone was eating an apple too, but I don't remember who that was. And I don't even know why this image is stuck in my head. (laughs) Is there anything that stands out for you? Oh gosh, I'm thinking about this apple and the child eating it and I cannot remember either. (laughs) I think uh, for me, Swati, it's probably Wuthering Heights by Emily Mm -hmm. Bronte that stands out. Mm-hmm. I had read other classics before this one and since. But since we are speaking of impactful books, mm-hmm. this is the one for me. I think the idea of the mysterious moors and the brooding, intense, great on paper, not so much in real life, Heathcliff, <laughs> it had a huge impact on me. And I think while we're on the topic of classics, it's also important uh, to know what period we're referring to. We can go back all the way to ancient Rome and Greece or all the way forward to, say, George Orwell or William Golding, which would be characterized as modern classics. That's so right. Now that you say it, we, we really can't confine classics to a single period or an era. I was... Um, Actually, I was curious to find out more about the definition of a classic. So I went and looked online and I got a ton of different definitions for what makes a classic. Um, Mm. I got a really generic one, which is from the Oxford Dictionary, which says uh, a classic is a book, film or song, which is well known and considered to be of very high quality, setting standards for other books. Now, to me, high quality can be very subjective. Isn't True. It? Yeah. So I look for other definitions, which would be a little more relatable. And it. I found one which comes from the author Italo Calvino, who says a classic is that which with each rereading offers as much of a sense of discovery as the first reading. He gives a more poetic definition too, which says a classic is a book 
which comes to represent the whole universe, a book on par with ancient talismans. I, I just found that so astounding. Wow. I know. <laughs> um, I mean, how beautiful is that? Yeah. And, you know, you're, you're right about high quality too. It is incredibly subjective. And at the risk of sounding controversial, this is true of the books we sometimes see in bestseller lists, don't you think? Right. So, so like you, I prefer the idea that a classic is a talisman. It is always relevant, always protective, I think, in its ability to heal and offer hope. I'm wondering, Swati, does a book come to your mind for this definition? Um, yes, I firstly, I think it would be any book that has essentially stood the test of time and something that made an impact. Hmm. Um, now, if I think of it, it for me, it would be Rebecca by Daphne hmm. du Maurier. Last night, I dreamt I went to Mandalay again. It seemed to me I stood by the iron gate leading to the drive. And for a while, I could not enter, for the way was barred to me. Then, like all dreamers, I was possessed of a sudden with supernatural powers and passed like a spirit through the barrier before me. And I read it years and years ago, but I still remember the psychological tension in the book. It just made me feel on edge. And most importantly, I wasn't sure if if the woman protagonist has a mental disorder, if she's hallucinating. Like it always keeps you on your toes thinking what's happening. Right. And initially we sympathize with her husband. He's quite mm. charming. He seems to be the poor fellow who's suffering and all of that. And then later we realize that he has a dark side and he's really not what he seems to be. Now, that's something we can relate to, right? I'm sure we have all met somebody at least once in our life who's completely different from what they appear to be. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Tell me about <laughs> I I hear you on Rebecca. When I look at it today, I see that it is melodramatic and full of twists and turns. I mean, what don't we have in the book, right? There's yeah. a fire, a murder. There are sunken ships. There's betrayal, jealousy, a costume party, even a ghost. And despite this entire long list, it's much more than that. It is a supernatural novel, but it also speaks to psychology. Mm. You know, what you what you were this the seemingly benign good hostess Rebecca, she's not really that nice. <laughs> and like you pointed out, we all know people like that. Mm. It's just one of the themes, this kind of hypocrisy that makes it universal. And you know, Swati, I just read that it sells about four thousand copies a month, even today. Imagine. Wow. And now that's what I call enduring. <laughs> yeah. And and uh, yes, I had forgotten the supernatural aspect in it. You know, that that's uh, yeah. one aspect that kind of stays hidden. So, and, and what's the classic that comes to your mind? I'm very glad you asked me and I offer you, of course, Wuthering Heights again. Right, right. You know, I've never heard the word Wuthering. So for me, the emotions start right from there. That mm. word conjures up strong winds, right? Mm. And the moors are a presence, almost as much as, say, Heathcliff or Catherine. Mm. And while I had initially believed this to be a love story, I don't think the same now. This is a book of selfishness and vengeance. They mm. are born out of passion of love. But does that mean that the feelings are justified? This mm. is a question that I have thought about a lot in my adulthood. Mm. I felt that the Moors were, you know, a personification of so much of the emotion we see in the novel, mm. the tumult and the seesawing of emotions, the sheer force of will. 
I think this gothic novel has a slew of otherworldly sentiments. Mm. But at the heart of it are emotions that aren't easily handled. Wow. Now you have brought up a book that had me fall in love with English literature all over again when I was in college. Ah, okay. I think all of us were under the spell of Heathcliff and then later oh, yes. received Audrey Yes. <laughs> I, I think if I ever write a book, I should do it like Emily Bronte, you know, just, just write one masterpiece, it becomes a classic. Yes, why not? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. And and as I said, when I look at the text with grown-up eyes now, I can see that it's a pretty twisted tale. There's violence, yeah. there's abuse, mm-hmm. hatred, and real dizzying seesaw of emotions, as you said. And I think this is one of the reasons I remember this book even today. Heathcliff mm. is difficult to forget. He radiates this kind of intensity, this brooding yeah. sense, which I think is embodied by the presence of the Moors. I I, yeah. I think just like Rebecca, this book had a certain psychological depth and very vivid characters that are really not easy to forget. Uh, that's really true, Swati. And, you know, some of the themes are similar if, if you mm. compare Rebecca and Wuthering Heights. Mm. The styles are, of course, different and uh, so is the symbolism. Mm. But if you look at it, the, the commonality is that the belief that Rebecca and Catherine are both crazy women, right? right and right. that, But that quality of them being so-called crazy seems to be the best defense against what is essentially an oppressive environment. Correct, correct. And that's a very perceptive observation you made there. Yeah. Uh, I'm also thinking about poetry, Swati. I mean, as a poet, I should definitely talk about classic poetry as well. And um, take this poem called I Felt a Funeral in My Brain by Emily Dickinson. Mm. I mean, just look at the title of the poem, right? Is Emily Dickinson thinking about a funeral? Mm. But she's not thinking about it. She is feeling it. I felt a funeral in my brain. Mm. And then there's also, I am a grammar teacher and there's an intriguing comma in the title. I felt a funeral comma in my brain. Have I felt a funeral somewhere else before? Right. And where and how is she feeling it? Is it her brain on fire? I would like to imagine because of all her creativity. Mm. Or is it like a migration of negative thoughts that she's decided to let go of? As she says in the poem, right? That sense was breaking through. Mm. And I, when I read up a little bit about this poem, it's actually set in a funeral. There is a funeral that she's attended. Okay. But you can also see a descent into madness, you know, that sheer sense of loss and helplessness one experiences because mm. of a loss of control, a loss of agency. Mm. Sometimes, you know, one is trapped in the brain, isn't it? Very true, very true. And that's such a scary feeling. You know, I've never come across this this particular powerful poem. It sounds so powerful. But I've read a, a few of Emily Dickinson's other poetry, including the famous, mm. uh, you know, Hope is a Thing with Feathers. Uh, it continues to delight me to this day. Uh, but nothing would delight me more than to hear you read this terrific poem. <laughs> with this <laughs> striking imagery and concept. You're the poet. I have to... <laughs> Have you read this? So nobody can bring it more alive than you. So let's have it, shall we? Thank you so much. With pleasure, Swati. Okay, let's hear it. I Felt a Funeral in My Brain by Emily Dickinson I felt a funeral in my brain And mourners to and fro Kept treading, treading Till it seemed that sense was breaking through 
And when they all were seated, a service like a drum kept beating, beating till I thought my mind was going numb. And then I heard them lift a box and creak across my soul with those same boots of lead again. Then space began to toll. All the heavens were a bell and being but an ear and I and silence some strange race wrecked solitary here. And then a plank in reason broke and I dropped down and down and hit a world heavy plunge and finished knowing then. Oh my God, that was so, that gave me goosebumps, seriously. Thank you so much. <laughs> I always marvel at how you just make words dance with your voice. Thank you so much, Swati. You're very kind. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's really a, a beautiful poem. I haven't read it before, but I'm so happy that you brought it to our notice. And speaking of notice, would you believe that we're already approaching wrap-up time? So to all of you listening, you can find the list of books in our show notes. And we'll be adding some extra ones out there. Other classics that we really enjoyed reading as well. And uh, of course, Swati and I would be delighted to hear from you. Please share your favorite sentences from these books we've discussed or other classics you've enjoyed. And we hope you've enjoyed uh, listening to our conversation about classics and mental health. We are always eager to hear from you on books and any suggestions you might have. So please let us know, not just about what you like, but also what we can do better and what you would like to listen to next. Speaking maybe of like, Swati, what should we do? Yeah, I was just about to say, maybe we can delve into a contentious, controversial topic next time. Is the book better than the movie or the movie better than the book? What do you think, Swati? Oh, that is going to be one long conversation. I cannot wait for that, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and yes, we'll have to keep a check on the time because we, of course, will talk more than we had initially planned to talk about it. Absolutely. Yes. This I can almost imagine that conversation just going on and on. So yes, <laughs> to keep an eye on time. But for now, we will say goodbye. And take care and keep reading. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. See you soon. This was a Mind Readers podcast brought to you by Mind Stories. We hope you enjoyed our freewheeling conversation on the classics. Please do leave a comment for us, subscribe to our podcast, share it with fellow readers and non-readers. Let's grow this circle, shall we? See you soon with another episode of Mind Readers. Till then, keep reading and may you find warmth and acceptance between the pages. Bye for now.